Welcome back to the Movie Babble podcast. It is uh, me, Brendan, here hosting, and we got all the way from Melbourne, Australia, Movie Babble's very own, and the host of another bloody movie podcast, Sean Coates. How's it going? Doing well, doing well. Nice and sunny outside, even though currently in lockdown, can't really do much about that. But, uh, you know, it wouldn't be, wouldn't be anywhere else other than outside, obviously, than uh, here chatting with you, Brennan, about Toronto International Film Festival. For sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm very glad to have you on and I'm glad that we can cover the festival here just for Movie Babble. Um, it was a good experience for me. I mean, we're going to get into a lot of different things. Obviously, we're going to talk movies. We're going to talk the online versus in-person experience. We're just going to talk about a lot of the kind of technical difficulties as well that went along with this festival. But this is the second uh, Toronto International Film Festival that has ran during the pandemic. Last year was very much a hybrid of uh, a hybrid festival with um, online options, in-person options, and drive-in options. They kept that same system this year but there was a lot more exclusivity than there was last year. Um, last year, if you could find a movie online, you could probably find it in person, vice versa. This year, it, movies were definitely a little bit pickier about which route they wanted to take. And we will get into all of that. Firstly, though, um, as someone, what's our time difference? 14 hours or so? 14 hours uh, is currently 11.34 a.m. on a Thursday morning here in Melbourne. 9.33 p.m. on a Wednesday evening here in Ontario, Canada. And it's just such a big difference. But the one thing uh, that COVID-19 has brought us, which I mean, nothing good about this virus at all, but the fact that film festivals are now kind of globally accessible in a way, I think it's definitely been a little bit of a positive um, this is not your first festival uh, during the pandemic, uh, but where does it rank, would you say, in, in the festivals you've kind of experienced? Now, when you say that, do you, do you mean in terms of the films that I watched or in terms of the experience of how the festival sort of run? Let's say experience overall. Both. Experience overall. Um, overall, I think, given the circumstances, they've done pretty well. Um, personally, the festival that I think that has adapted the, the like, best to the sort of environment and although I didn't get a chance to cover them this year was uh, Fantasia Film Festival which funnily enough was the last time I was on this podcast with Nick when we did a similar sort of festival wrap-up episode last year um, but uh, Toronto they from what I heard as well last year they had a similar thing as well in terms of inviting international press to or just you know press from anywhere so the, the TIFF Digital Cinema Pro, which is, I think, the platform that they use that was, I think, I don't know if it's, uh, I don't know how different it was to just the general uh, TIFF Digital Lightbox uh, sort of platform that they use. But um, a lot of the films that were put on there were only given eight, uh, 48 hours to uh, to watch. And uh, being, from, being someone that is halfway across the world and with Australia's notoriously terrible internet speeds. Um, it made watching some of the films very difficult, um, especially during certain hours of the day um, made it. And I think the time differences um, might've affected that because maybe they used Canadian servers or something like that. So like high traffic times in Canada were very, very uh, uh, not that great uh, in terms of the, the streaming quality that I would get, you know, like, buffering every couple of seconds, having to put it on auto and, you know, having to, I guess, sacrifice watching the film at a lower resolution just to be able to get through it in a reasonable amount of time. And, and also as well, I guess, with some of the films being on the, 
like a lot of the, us people who got accepted into press, um, like we knew as soon as the program dropped, how many of them would be available in which countries, because it was all listed up on the website. And then once we got our, uh, we, once we got our login details for it, that we then found out most of those films were then found to be not available in your country, which it's, was that's frustrating. frustrating. Yeah, that's, that's very frustrating. frustrating. And, and because there's, they have very strict rules against using VPNs and I just was not going to take that risk whatsoever because, you know, I want to get back, invited back to this festival. So I wasn't going to do that, but yeah. So a lot of films like a uh, petite, I think a lot of films that you ended up seeing too. Um, so films like petite Maman, uh, power of the dog. Um, there's a lot of others, a uh, flea on oh, no, a flea was never available for in Australia, but a lot of others were available for and and it was a, that were so a lot of films that were available uh to a lot of countries like a couple of days before the festival then changed to only us and canada which was frustrating you know they are opening it up to um to international press but not necessarily all international press right and that's that that's tough and firstly we see um I think there was a lot of backlash from critics online because in the summer or in August or so, we saw TIFF come out with the list of what would be available digitally, what would be available in-person exclusive. That pissed a lot of people off. Um, then things kind of settle, you know, you kind of get used to that sort of thing. And then, as you said, a couple of days before the festival, they switch up all the movies that you're able to see and you're not able to see. Um, to me, I don't think that's right at all. Uh, I understand personally theatrical exclusivity. Uh, I like it's it's something that it it it's there. Like Dune's not going to be on the uh, digital platform for TIFF, yeah, right? That's definitely. just yeah. Ne ne neither is Last Night in Soho or any of the other like the the big sort of gala films. Like I'd accepted that. Yeah, it, I think and and I understand as well that like certain like you know rights holders and distributors with other country with in like other countries as well like sort of stop that as uh, too, but. I think it was just the fact that like we we had already made these plans to watch these films and then they got changed without any notice that was a bit of a letdown but in that but there was always a positive that came out of that because in doing that i was able to watch uh a lot of the films i watched are films that i probably would not have been on my radar otherwise mm -hmm. yeah that that is definitely positive we spoke about that just over text uh, as the festival was going on that you said, you know, there's a lot of movies that I probably would have never have never have watched that then you got to. And that's a good thing as well. Um, I saw a lot of people kind of use that as a positive and it is certainly a positive that, yeah, maybe you, you, you couldn't see power of the dog uh, at TIFF, but you got to see a lot of things that uh, you probably would never have seen and you liked them quite a bit. So on that note, let's get into the fun stuff, which is the films that we did see. Um, so going into the festival, like this is my third TIFF and this one, I definitely, I, this, I, this is uh, one where I've seen more than I have in, in any prior one. The first year I went was definitely very much a weekend event for me. And then last year, I kind of watched a lot of the digital stuff throughout the week, maybe one a day. This year was certainly a grind, two, three movies a day. I didn't stick it out the whole 10 days, but first five days or so, I was definitely really into this uh, festival hard. I know a lot of people that, that watch like five, six a day, which I couldn't do that, but and I'm glad I didn't do that because I don't think I could digest all those films, but yeah, that, that's a bit crazy. Like, <laughs> I, 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 you see people like at the Melbourne International Film Festival, which because of lockdown was cancelled and moved online, which 
I mean, normally when a film festival is online and I'm not really covering it, like I only covered one film for Myth this year for the site and it's just, maybe it's just as well because I was tight for money at the time. It's just like, no, nah, it's just not the same. It's just not the same, especially for a, f a festival that I'm a patron of. Like um, in 2019, the last time Myth happened in person, I think I went to 45 films over the, because <laughs> Myth's a little bit longer. Myth is two and a half weeks. So I went to gotcha. 45 films, which is about three a day. And I took the whole two weeks off work to do it as well. So, you know, it's, it, but there, there are crazy people at MIF that do upwards of 70 and it's, it's a bit, it's a bit insane. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. And for me, since obviously I am uh, in the Toronto area, I got to do um, a little bit of the blended experience, a little bit online, a little bit in person. Um, I knew there were a few films that I really wanted to try to see in the theater, which was uh, Titan was one of them, which I did get to see. I think that's one that, I don't even think they played it. Literally, I don't, I'm not 100% sure. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But that's one that I definitely wanted to get downtown Toronto to see in person. Um, uh, but yeah, the, the, I, I definitely split it kind of 50-50 festival-wise, uh, whether I watched something online or in person. And it was kind of fun that way. I, I definitely think there's a market for keeping the online experience as the years come. Like, you know, as we said, Last Night in Soho, Dune, movies like that they're never going to be on the online portal, but I think in years to come, it, it's, it's something that TIFF should probably keep because uh, it, it, it kind of lets you explore a lot of films that you probably would not have explored uh, if, if they weren't there. Um, so just what were you most hyped about movie wise going into this festival? What were the films that uh, you were uh, really dying to see? Besides the ones, obviously, that got kind of blocked. Besides the ones, you. yeah, the the ones that I originally planned to see at MIF, and then that was cancelled. Planned to see at TIFF, and then I wasn't allowed to watch them anymore. Maybe when in this the cinematic releases, maybe somewhere down the line, I will watch those. But uh, two documentaries um, that I watched. So overall, I should say I watched thirteen films in the. I, I watched a couple post festival as well, just from screeners that I had available that weren't also. They were also on the TIFF digital platform, but I just, you know, just didn't watch them during that mm -hmm. time because I knew I could watch them later. So you so watched, watched 13. Thir Me too. 13 in total, yes. I also watched 13. Oh, well, how about that? And I don't think there was any overlap. I don't think there was a single film that we both saw. Right. So we're bringing a lot of, a lot of variety here. Yeah. So I guess... One, yeah, so two documentaries mainly. Um, uh, there, there is one other one, but that's my favourite movie and we're going to talk about it at the end, so we'll leave that till last. But so the two documentaries that, are, that really, really caught my eye early on, uh, the first one was The Rescue, which I believe is actually coming out in cinemas in the US uh, next week, or not next week, but sometime in early or mid-October, I'm not mm -hmm. sure. Um, it's the new documentary film from the team behind Free Solo, and uh, it's about the rescue of the uh, the Thai soccer team in from the uh, from the flooded cave back in 2018. And what's interesting about this documentary, reading interviews and like the press notes and things like that, is because it is that um, the directors were never actually there. Like they followed this whole story, and it was it's sort of a cover production. So they what they sort of did was use a mixture of both uh, real footage and then also uh, reenactments. And it is so seamlessly blended in the two of them. And, you know, and also the interviews themselves, the like the Talking Heads interviews with a lot of the people involved, that was all done over Zoom. And you could not tell because it is so professionally done. Hmm. And, you know, everything is really, really well done. 
in that regard. Like, you know, I, I was stunned when I found that out too. And um, yeah, it's just, you know, like these two just, uh, apologies, I'm forgetting their names. I'll bring them up in a, in, in a moment. I know one of them is D Jimmy Chin and I forget the name of the other, the other woman in the team, but uh, it's, it's just another great documentary from these two about the endeavor of the human spirit to achieve something impossible because it, it, it because about halfway through the documentary they've found the boys and you think oh well this is going to be simple oh no 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 there is so many other hurdles like just as you think that they've they've figured it out another problem gets thrown in their way hmm. that is I, that, yeah, it's fascinating. And this is definitely a movie that has uh, caught my attention throughout the festival. Um, insane critical uh, reception for this movie. It's the second highest uh, meta Metacritic meta score out of TIFF. It has a 92. Really? Yeah, second wow. highest. Um, I think it won the documentary award too, I believe. Yeah, I think yes. you're right, it did. So it's, it's, it's certainly one that is definitely going to hopefully be on a lot of people's radars and uh, maybe make its way into the Oscars. I, uh, we'll see. Yeah. And uh, the second documentary, uh, I kind of had to watch this out of obligation being Australian. And I believe it was the only Australian film in the whole program. It's the documentary burning. Uh, it's from documentarian. I think she's based in the U S now, but Australian documentarian, Eva Orner, who just makes incredibly angry documentaries about how terrible Australia's government is <laughs> like a couple of years ago, she made a documentary called chasing asylum about like, uh, you know, asylum seekers in Australia and like, you know, Australia's detention system and how horrible that is. And uh, so as the title might suggest burning, uh, this is actually about the uh, black summer bushfires that just tore through Australia in uh, late 2019, early 2020. And look, I'm in, a, in an area like I'm in a densely populated city. I, I am from the country, regional Australia originally, uh, never had to firsthand experience with bushfires, thankfully, but you know, I've, I've been around when they've happened. Like I just remember last year when like, and it was reported all over the world when it happened last year, there was just, even though the fires were like hundreds of kilometers away, the smoke just completely engulfed the whole city of Melbourne and also up in Sydney because there were fires in just everywhere. And this, the documentary, not only does it have like firsthand accounts of survivors and journalists and like people that were on the ground and like firefighters and like environmental, like, you know, the people in like high up environmental sort of areas, it also is, looks at just how it was all preventable and and just like how, or not how it was preventable just in that the Australian government were warned about it and they knew it was going to come and just did absolutely nothing about it and then from there it kind of turns on to this huge scathing sort of scream into the void about how terrible the Morrison government actually is and how little they actually care and how they just refuse to just keep living in the past like you know climate denying like keep funding the coal and the fossil fuel industry and you know just there's also and you know scott morrison also going on holiday to hawaii in the middle of a national emergency <laughs> so yeah. it's a really angry documentary that covers it from all angles and this is i believe it's amazon uh like funded and will also be distributing this so a lot of eyes will be on it so 
and you know i think it's a film that will open their eyes to just how you know just how terrible not only these fires were but also just the general incompetence and almost like vicious incompetence almost of the australian government and i was going to write a review for movie babble but there is i don't think there's any way that any australian can watch this film and then review it and then it be <laughs> nothing else than just an extended rant or like a manifesto of how you know crap this government really is so this is really a movie that uh this is for angry australians then yeah or, or angry people all over the world like it's it's a film that will open a lot of eyes and like there's a, a lot of like statements in here that like really linger on because there's a there's a teenager there's a teenage girl who's like a big uh climate activist and uh that's an environmental activist who's interviewed during the film and like she was a really key player in like the student-led protests for climate change that happened a couple of years back which um you know the, the morrison government denounced and being like oh why aren't these kids in the classrooms or some bullshit like that yeah and you know uh, towards the end of the documentary she says like something that is both humbling but also annoying as hell is when people come up to me and say it's like uh, adults come up to her a 17 year old girl and say what you are doing is really inspiring and she responds with like i shouldn't be the one that has to do this mm. yeah chills you get chills from that sort of stuff um so both of them sound it sounds like both of them uh kind of lived up to your expectations in a way yeah definitely yeah, that's good. Uh, for me, going into the festival, I was super hyped about uh, Titan, obviously, and uh, the worst person in the world. Um, Titan was one that, I mean, I, I loved Raw. I don't know how you feel about Raw. I like it a lot, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, obviously, her, her next film here, I'm, I'm definitely going to be excited about it. Then it won the Palm at, uh, at Cannes, right? I mean, that's that's insane. Spike Lee did, did something wild there with his jury. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so, well, he announced it, <laughs> announcing it first, too, was pretty wild. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of a mistake on his part, but that just, <laughs> my excitement, which was already high, got even higher. So I was really excited for that. And um, that experience was something else. I think this is a movie that obviously can be experienced anywhere and enjoyed anywhere, but seeing how people reacted to this thing, uh, it, it was it was, it was was incredible. So TIFF runs a, a selection of Midnight, midnight Mad Madness screenings. And um, that's what that's where I was. I was there watching it at midnight, and it was nuts. There was an ambulance at the theater afterwards. Um, someone had passed out, I believe. And yeah, I think I think that makes <laughs> De know two from two from her films with uh, Tiff Midnight Madness screening because I believe someone also passed out or fainted during a scene in Raw. You're as right. Well, and they had yeah. to call an ambulance. I think that they need to promote her as someone who's now caused two people to faint in back-to-back -back films at uh, TIFF. That's got to be in the all the marketing material because that would draw people in 100%. Um, and I want people to be drawn into this because it's it's a really insane experience. And I mean, I had never seen a crowd so audible toward, towards a film. Like the reactions were just insane. Um, it's, a, it's a really good movie. I mean, I'm not going to get into the actual, you know, plot lines of it because it doesn't come out yet i think it's out in france but it is dropping uh in north america in about two weeks from now and yeah, obviously it's, uh, it's in australia in early december okay yeah so we've got a while for this film to really make its way around but for a movie that is so in your face uncomfortable 
gory almost. Um, I mean, if you've seen Raw, you know how uh, how she can be and make you feel uncomfortable with uh, her, her shots, close-up shots. But this movie is also very, very heartwarming, very touching, and very funny as well, which I did not expect. So, I mean, it, it's a movie that I was really excited for. And uh, for me, it definitely lived up to the hype. The other one is uh, Joaquin Trier's uh, The Worst Person in the World, which... So this is the third film in his uh, loosely connected Oslo trilogy, which he's been working on now for, I think, 12 or so years. And over the summer, I watched the first two because I knew this one was coming up. I watched uh, Reprise and then Oslo, August 31st, which is the two other films in that trilogy. Obviously, none of the characters are the same. It's just kind of thematically, this is a, a loosely connected trilogy and all the films take place in his home city of Oslo. Um, I don't know if you've seen any of the other ones. I have I not, no. I'm They're aware both... of this filmmaker because he made uh, two other films which I've heard good things about but have not, haven't seen. Uh, I don't think there's those two. I think they're called Louder Than Bonds and Thelma, which mm-hmm. were both pretty critically acclaimed. Right, yes. Um, you know what? He's a, he's a really good director in, in a way that his films are touching and realistic and um, he, he really just likes to explore kind of uh, the real heart and soul of the human being, but he does it in a very entertaining way. The editing style of this film is pretty unique. It's incredibly funny, very fast paced. That's my favorite movie, the festival. So I got to talk about it again at the end, but it was a movie that I was super excited for and did live up to the hype. Um, otherwise though, there were a few movies uh, throughout the festival that kind of surprised me. Um, I'm going to throw it back to you, though. What was uh, some of the biggest uh, surprises for you uh, at TIFF this year? Um, yeah, so in the, I'm just looking back at the sheet where I, I sort of looked at this stuff to try to remember what I've got here. Um, so we'll start with the positive ones first. Um, so the, and I have a review for this one on the site, so I'll try to be uh, very limited with this one. But uh, there's this really great Indian film called Doug Doug which I just, I, I didn't know much about go, going in, but a friend of mine, uh, Virat Nehru, who runs the uh, Film Fight Club show up at a, a radio show up in Sydney, uh, turned me on to this one. And um, I loved absolutely every second of it. Um, a really great satire on just how easily religion can be like commercialized and commodified and just like the sort of insane fervor and like sort of almost hysteria that it can manifest was just brilliant. The basic con- con- conceit of this film is that uh, there's this alcoholic man, I think his name is Thakur. Um, he goes on a ride on his motorcycle late at night when he's a little bit intoxicated. Uh, he gets killed rather gruesomely when he's run over by a truck. Um, so the police attend to the crime scene. They impound his bike, you know, they clean it, clean it all up. They impound his bike at the local station. Police wake up the next morning to find that the bike is missing and that the bike has inexplicably shown back up to the site of the accident. So, and even though they've siphoned the gas tank, they locked it up, they, they locked it up, they changed it around a tree and everything like that, and it still made its way there. So they try even more desperate measures. So they like chained it up, they siphon the gas tank again, they throw it in a jail cell, like, and like deep, like, I think like flatten its tires, all of that sort of stuff but the bike shows back up to the, to the site of the accident. And this starts to get the attention of the locals and the locals start to believe that the uh, spirit of the core has sort of, I guess, lives inside this motorcycle and they have 
proclaim this motorbike as their god and like soon everyone just starts going like absolutely crazy about this um like caravans of pilgrims are starting to come to like you know to praise the the holy motorcycle uh people are putting Thakur's name all over their businesses for good fortune um they they make offerings of his favorite thing when he was alive which is alcohol which is kind of hilarious and then it's make it makes them grant their wishes and you know then it just it just spirals out of control but not in a in a horrible sort of violent way but just in a very absurdist very vibrant sort of way um this film has is probably the most energetic film i saw of tiff there's a very like the director has very pointedly said that edgar wright is one of his key inspirations mm. and you can tell with the very fast-paced editing there's so many like whip pans and like crash zooms everywhere <laughs> in this film um like the soundtrack as well by um salvage audio collective is just so really upbeat and poppy and just it, it, it's just in it just it gives the film the infectious energy that it has and I, I hope this gets distribution sometime because it was just excellent. Uh, Doug, Doug, look out for that one. Yeah, so it doesn't have uh, doesn't have distribution yet. I'm not too sure. Um, it didn't seem. I think it just has like an international sales agent who I can't remember who it is, but I don't think it's been picked up for distribution in North America or really anywhere yet. Mm. So definitely keep an eye out for it. Yeah, hopefully soon. Um, for me, uh, a positive surprise, I guess. Um, you know, it's kind of weird to talk about dash cam, Rob Savage's dash cam, which I don't know if you saw his film host last year. I, I did not, but I heard good things about that. And I've heard quite terrible things about this film, <laughs> but I understand you liked it. So I'm very interested to hear what you have to say. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people dislike it because of its lead character. Um, so you essentially have it's it's a found footage film right dash cam about a uh about a i guess you could say a vlogger who um films herself and she does kind of she sings in her car uh to the radio um she does freestyles in the car uh just random words people join in they they type things she turns it into a rap really just kind of follows her throughout the COVID 19 pandemic and she is anti-vax um very uh skeptical of everything she is um like conspiracy theorist to the max you know th this is the type of person she is very over the top a lot of swearing a lot of yelling um and you know what's weird i didn't know this when i watched the film i just thought this was you know full-on actor apparently in real life she is kind of like that <laughs> oh so it's a it's a major case of stunt casting then is it yeah and i mean i think the director, I think Rob Savage and her are friends or dating. I'm not 100% sure. Okay. Um, but I read somewhere they have a connection. And I mean, Annie Hardy is the character's name. Annie Hardy is her name in real life. So I mean, like they know what they're going for here. And I didn't know that when I watched it. But then you kind of think about it afterwards. And you're like, Oh, okay, so that is like her personality. Now, obviously, she's playing a much more over the top version of herself. Um, like, I, I don't think she'd run into stores and this is what happens in the film runs into stores and uh, yells about mask mandates and such. I don't know if she does that in real life. I looked at her social media and she doesn't seem to be, you know, that crazy about it all. She, she is definitely a skeptic in real life, but her character is definitely like an over the top version. And uh, I think that's what turned a lot of people off um, to the film and probably didn't like it. 
you know, it's not that I'm rooting for her, but I laugh my ass off during the movie. So that's why I like it. I, I found it quite funny. Um, it's, it does get repetitive. I think there are a lot of jump scares in here that, that get repetitive, repetitive as time goes on, but I don't know. I just had a lot of fun with it. Maybe it's because it was a midnight madness screening. It's 1am and I'm just kind of, you know, my brain's kind of mushy, but I had a lot of fun with this movie. Um, I might have to revisit it and see how I feel again, but you know what, I'm going to stand up and uh, go against the grain, which has been pretty negative and say, you know, I had a good time watching this thing. It's just a, it's, it, it's funny. So she, she just kind of, you're following her in her journey and weird things start to happen. That's pretty much all I got to say. And supernatural things too. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's odd. I think I have to check out host because it seems to be a little bit more respected um, than this film, but I'm not going to lie. I had fun. Oh, well, you got to stick up for your oddball opinions. You just, you got to. Exactly. No, a hundred percent. And I will. I mean, I, I feel like it's the type of movie, like you, like you, you got to watch with friends or something like that. Like it's, I mean, I got to check it out again, but it, uh, I do. I have to stick up for that oddball opinion. Well, that leads me into asking, did you watch that virtually or did you watch that in person? So that was in person at the Midnight Madness screening. And okay. uh, what, what was the vibe from the rest of the uh, audience? It's funny because um, I was with my girlfriend and we were watching it and the audience, people were laughing. People were, you know, people were jumping. Like you could hear it was, it was very similar to the reaction from, from Titan uh, the night before. Like I felt that the audience was definitely vibing pretty well with this. And then uh, once it ended, she jumped on Letterboxd and within like a minute, people had reviews up. It was like half star. It's like, no, I'm like, oh, yeah. okay. There were people in this room that weren't feeling, feeling great about it. And it's interesting. I think that's the cool thing about a festival, right? You have so many different uh, minds, strong opinions all in one room. And uh, I mean, but I mean, if you, if you were there, you'd think the audience enjoyed it, but clearly mm. not everyone did. Yeah, it's it's always weird when you have screenings like that, and also just the 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 time in which people can just crank out a letterbox review is insane. <laughs> oh my like, god! I, I remember I remember I went and saw a film with a friend of mine, and um, you know, like the film had ended. I turned my phone back on, and I I was about to lock it on Letterboxd. And uh, I, as soon as I'd opened it, my friend who was sitting right next to me, who I was kind of talking to the whole time while this was happening, and she had already posted the review. I was like. When did you do that? Yeah. Like, first, how, and two, when? It's nuts. Um, it's nuts. Also, the director, Rob Savage, he came out afterwards, and he spoke to the crowd. Um, I didn't stay for it all because it was, like, nearly 2 o'clock. I had to drive home. But, uh, yeah, he came out afterwards. I wonder how that went. I feel like I should ask someone who was there what, what it was like and what people ask because, yeah, this lead character is awful, but... Uh, I laughed, so I had a good time. Yeah. Oh, well, last question before we move on. Uh, from what you saw, was there any walkouts? Because it seems like from the overwhelmingly negative reception this has got, apart from you, obviously, um, did you notice anybody walking out? So I think it screened twice, and I, I also did have digital. Um, maybe a lot of the bad reviews of the digital, because... I sat in the very middle of the theater and I did, I had a good view of both doors and I didn't see anyone walk out besides oh, okay. one person made for a washroom break or something, but yeah, maybe, I, maybe it's, 
maybe it's a film that require that requires the sort of uh even though you know it's made for on like you know dash cam and found footage you'd think that it would be tailor-made for like watching on your computer or your tv at home maybe a cinema is the right place to watch that one you know i think it might be like they had the in person the night uh that i went then the next day they screened it uh, digitally and i talked to a friend who watched digitally digitally and really didn't like it um i don't know i, I feel like the audience added something to it like everyone was very loud in reacting to this film in, in the crowd there uh so maybe that is a part of it but either or i mean it seems like host is the more respected film so i gotta i gotta check it out all right what are we on to next um the low point or do we do we have other surprises that we want to mention because you've also mentioned here is there a negative surprise that you yeah do you have any yeah. uh, any anything at tiff that uh kind of bummed you out what uh what shocked you in a bad way? Um, two that just not not sort of shocked me in a bad way, but just made me surprised because I'm like, I thought I would really enjoy this film and I just didn't. Um, I'll start quickly with these two films. One that I don't really have too much to say with because I think I watched it. It might have been a combination of late at night and the film just was not working for me. Well, it was a film called The Swigwa Diaries. Um, so Swigwa being August spelt backwards and uh, there's a reason for that. Uh, I just feel like that there's so many filmmakers want to make the definitive COVID film. And mm -hmm. I, I think, like, personally, I think uh, cinemas going, not cinemas, sorry, but films going forward when it comes to COVID-19 as, like, sort of a plot thread or, like, just sort of a central idea, just ignore it. We all live through it. Just, you know what? We don't need to hear any more about that. But, like... Okay, now I should retract there. I'm open to them, but the problem is with a lot of filmmakers and festival films, they have very insular worlds. So a lot of COVID films you're going to be seeing are about filmmakers and struggling artists, and they just make me want to throw up, to be honest, because they're all the same, and Jafar Panahi has done films like that while under house arrest a lot better and with a lot more humanity about t 10 years ago. So just give up. But yeah, so the Swigwa Diaries is basically like a film told in reverse. It was shot over 22 days, I think over August, yeah, over August uh, last year. And it's basically a, a film, like a set of a film that sort of, yeah, but shown backwards. So the film sort of starts at the end of the production and then like the cast, like, if weirdly like building a building like a, a greenhouse or whatever and then it keeps going back and then you find out that they're like they're in a covid like they're trying to make like a covid safe production of a film and it keeps going backwards and backwards and like you eventually get to like the genesis of the idea it gets really meta but like and i kind of enjoyed some of those aspects but it just was really dull <laughs> and i just a lot of people are saying like a lot of people that use the word vibes too much are really really loving this film because it's definitely <laughs> just trying to go for this very laid back sort of atmosphere but it just it just did not work for me at all unfortunately there is there is some great moments like um towards the end of the film when it gets to the beginning of the production there's some boomer on the set ask uh, yelling about man mask mandates and things like that <laughs> and that, and they're having a big argument about that that was pretty entertaining but other than that i just really couldn't get into the swigwa diaries um the second film i want to talk about is a uh, sundown which i believe made its world premiere at venice a few weeks beforehand and now is playing at uh and played at tiff um, so this film, uh, it's a new film from Michelle Franco, who seems to make films uh, about class divide, but uh, that are very, very, uh, for not, um, not forceful is not the right word, but like, uh, to, and, and to say unsubtle, I think would be, you know, uh, 
you know uh, unfair on him but he makes very blunt films about his uh, about criticisms of like capitalism and like class divides and things like that like his last film new order which was basically like a a depiction of an uprising in mexico but told from the perspective of the one percent uh that had very polarizing reactions from both audiences and critics but his new film is a much more laid back uh film uh, sundown uh tim roth is the lead in this film he plays a man that's uh he's the heir to a uh, meat packaging empire so he's the heir to you know he's just a, like a spoiled rich old guy that's you know basically never really worked a day in his life and he's on vacation in uh, acapulco in mexico he's with his sister played by charlotte gainsbourg and her kids um but so they're, they're having just the best time just like sipping margaritas by the beach by the pool just soaking in the sunshine but then uh they, they get a phone call that their mother is sick and their mother but then on the way so then they pack their things they get to the airport once they get to the airport they've found out that their mother has died but uh tim roth isn't exactly finished with this vacation yet so he lies about leaving his passport back at the resort and so the Charlotte Gainsbourg and her kids get on a plane, go back to London, go back to London. He stays in Acapulco and checks into just this really dingy motel and just hangs around for 80 odd minutes. Huh. And, and I mean, it's, it, this film is definitely a film of two halves. The first half is just sort of Tim Roth very he's very stoic in this film but not in like a very intense stoic but just stoic as in he's very just relaxed and i mean okay stoic maybe not the right word but like he's i'm not going to say unexpressive but he just seems unbothered by everything like he's but i mean he's he's very good at playing this sort of apathetic sort of uh misanthropic asshole in this film and he's great in it don't get me wrong um but the film is for the first 40 minutes at least just him sort of wandering around acapulco he gets in a relationship with like a local merchant as well and like you know starts making friends with some of the locals uh the film then takes a turn when charlotte gainsbourg does sort of come back into the picture uh in the second half of the film and then every so the film nothing really happens in the first 40 minutes then everything happens in the last 40 minutes and uh, it's definitely a film of two halves. Um, I don't think it's, it was just kind of a bit disappointing. It just kind of felt like a hollow and empty sort of experience. I'm not quite sure. I don't think the set, like it's, it really had any sort of commentary on the, uh, the like uh, capitalism or the class divide whatsoever, or just like, it's just another rich people are smug dicks. And, you know, they'll, they, they don't want, they'd rather just sit around and, you know, just waiting for, just, just sit around here and ignore all the problems going on in their life instead of actively doing anything about it. Yeah. And yeah, there's, oh God, but, and I think there's also another part of it as well, like being in lockdown and seeing a film about uh, rich people on holidays is just incredibly patronizing <laughs> and it's just i don't know maybe it just made me jealous but yeah i wasn't a huge fan of sundown unfortunately yeah tim roth he was in also uh bergman island wasn't he in this active oh yeah oh similar sort of vacation film yeah too. so i mean he's he's he definitely had a, a good last couple of years with his uh choices mm. and, and wearing his shit yeah, I was gonna say he he's he was very smart about like his uh, post COVID world. It's like where are we going? We're going to like some beach in Sweden, and we're going to Acapulco. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, wonderful, great, great. Uh, must be nice, uh, Mr. Tim Roth. Must be nice. Um, 
so let's get into, I mean, so we'll continue on the negatives. Uh, low point for you at the festival. For me, it was The Girl and the Spider, which I feel, I feel bad because this is a film that seemingly has uh, been quite well received by critics so far out of uh, the festival circuit. But for me, I was not a huge fan. So it's directed by uh, brothers, uh, Ramon and Sylvan Zertru, who are uh, Swiss. And I think it might be the first Swiss movie I've ever seen. I don't, I, I just don't remember ever watching a Swiss film before. Um, I, I got to think on that now to say if I have. Yeah, I don't, I just, I, I sat down to watch them. Like, have I ever watched a Swiss movie before? I don't think so. But it, it's essentially just a film about, um, really takes place over two days of a, of, a, of a girl watching her roommate move and helping her move. And I guess it's supposed to be about, you know, moving on and such, but I don't know. It was I, slow is, is, is fine, but it was just not doing it for me. And I, the, the film is very much constant monologue that, um, and, and monologues that just don't really do much for the story. Not much is kind of proceeding. The monologues for me don't carry into each other. They're all very sectioned off. And I just don't, I, I didn't really get anything out of this sadly. And um one thing I do, do have to say, it has a very nice theme. The music is phenomenal. Uh, they have like one song on the score that plays every like 10 minutes. Like just that one, everything else is silence. And this one thing comes in for 30 seconds. It's a uh, 30 seconds of bliss, wonderful music. <laughs> but in between that, I, I must say the movie didn't really do too much for me. And uh, that won't scare me away from Swiss movies though. So I'll make sure I watch another one. Yeah, it sounds like from just the description that yeah, I, so this was a film I was kind of looking at. I missed it. Uh, it was part of MIFF's online uh, online section as well, and then also TIFF's as well. It was one that I was looking at, but just you know, maybe may, you've you've um I guess maybe justified my decision in not watching it. <laughs> from what from what you've described with that, it sounds like it's something that I sort of pigeonhole. Like not that you should really pigeonhole films, but something I sort of look at films and like they to me they seem like festival filler. Right. Like they're these sorts of, you know, like mostly European sort of art films that, you know, and and this is a problem with a lot of contemporary art films is that they mistake, they, they follow in the footsteps of people like, you know, Andrei Tarkovsky or like more recently someone like A Picture Pong Where It's Ethical, where they can just, you know, they just had a very still camera and a very, like very still camera with like not a whole lot of movement going on in the frame, just a very slow paced sort of film but not doing anything with it, just being slow for the sake of it, not really doing just, just being slow just for the sake of being slow and not for, you know, to sort of let uh, certain themes or like, you know, ideas sort of echo within the heads of its, of the viewers or anything like that. So, you know, it's, you and, are, and that is a, yeah. Do you, you hit the nail on the head with the film? That is exactly this movie. <laughs> Yeah, that, 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 they all look pretty, but there's not really much underneath the surface as well with a lot of these films. But it, it, that sucks that uh, girl, girl and the spider, girl and the spider, or girl with the spider. The girl and the spider, yeah. And the spider, okay, yeah. Well, mine is probably the. I mean, also a European art film, but uh, one that is a lot different from what you've said. So, unfortunately, and you know, I was looking forward to this because I liked the premise, and also like a lot of people seem to really dig it. Um, this is a Belgian film called Inexorable, uh, was my low point. Um, 
similar like a, a shining sort of esque plot so there's this uh famed writer who's basically a one-hit wonder he wrote he wrote this book when he was young called inexorable and it was a huge hit like you know and uh, it's later on in his life he's moved in his his wife is the daughter of like uh some publishing magnate and she's also a writer herself and, you know, I think that's how they met as well. And like she published the book and whatever. So I think he's the, the guy is recently, the father has recently died. They move into his estate in the Belgian countryside. Um, and basically him hoping that, you know, it will like, like Jack Torrance in the, in, in the shining, it might like a change of scenery might, you know, trigger some sort of inspiration or something like that. He also finds out that there is this uh, young woman who um, has also recently moved to town and um, she saves their kidnapped dog, or not their kidnapped dog, sorry, the dog ran away, she finds it. And then, you know, uh, the family sort of take on, take her on as a maid because she's also good with their child and like with the dog and like, you know, she wants to help out around the house and things like that. Um, so it's sort of like a parasite sort of thing because you mm. also find out that this this woman is a very much a, a fan of this writer's work and, uh things very quickly get a bit more morbid and dark and uh, very erotic thrillery from the 90s. It's trying to be like this erotic thriller from the 90s mixed with Parasite, but really veers off into just crazy exploitation, which normally I'd be a fan of. But like when you mix those those sorts of things, like erotic 90s thriller, crazy sort of exploitation-y stuff and Parasite, and the pretentiousness of European filmmaking, <laughs> it kind of comes off as like a bad lifetime movie, mm. unfortunately. And also, like I'm, I'm not the, I'm clearly not the person to to, to, to that's any authority on this. But like the film, also the depiction of women in the film is either they're evil monsters out to get you like and ruin your life or they're all crazy. Like that's kind of how the film represents women, and it's a uh, a little misogynistic in that sense but which did rub me the wrong way but like there's just no i just couldn't find anything in an inexorable unfortunately yeah. the performances are good and committed as they would have to be for a film this crazy and there is a really really great dance sequence to like some uh like screamo sort of metal song that's done by a 10 year old girl which is pretty incredible but the rest of the film unfortunately is just sort of crass and really sort of just was not my thing yeah what a shame so we both kind of were uh kind of roasting the uh, european art films there tonight but that's that's kind of what happens sometimes <laughs> um so let's get away from the low points and kind of move back into uh, a little bit more a uh, positive territory. So I named this category category the holy shit that rocked movie. So maybe not our favorite of the festival, but the movie that you know that was good when you watched it. Um, for me, the power of the dog has to be that film. And you know, I it's not like I was surprised by it. That's why I didn't put it in the surprises. I, I knew this was going to be good, but I think I'm. What am I now? seven eight days out from watching this and it's still on my mind like it is it, it was phenomenal um obviously jane campion back behind uh the camera there for the first time in 10 years i believe um benedict cumberbatch yeah, think, bright bright star i think might have been her last film mm -hmm. yeah, a long time ago uh yeah. she, she did do top of the lake in between but you know it's been a while since she's done a film yeah yeah big time and it's great to see her back so you got benedict cumberbatch jesse plemons kirsten dunst i mean you you have a really solid cast here um 
and some people that I mean, obviously, Dunstan Plemons are, are together in real life, uh, but some people that maybe you wouldn't picture in a film together. Um, I really love this movie. It is not only is it uh, gorgeous to look at, I think, I mean, it's filmed in uh, Campion's native New Zealand, right? And it has some gorgeous backdrops, but this movie is powerful. And there's a lot in this movie that I'm not going to spoil, but there's a lot in this movie that, that kind of marinates in your head after a while. And it, it's, it's not a movie that's going to sit down and tell you what you want to know in the moment, um, which I really appreciated. Um, but the more you think about it, the more you just love this movie for me, at least. And, and a lot of people do seem to be liking it around the festival circuit. And this movie's playing everywhere pretty much. I know this was one that was kind of yanked away from, from you uh, right before the festival started. But this played at um, Telluride, I believe it was at Venice as well. Um, yeah. And again, here at TIFF. So it's really making the rounds and attempting to kind of try to get seen. Yeah, I believe it won the Silver Lion at Venice. So the second second place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Campion won um, director there as well. So, it, I mean, it, it's certainly making the festival rounds and it, it's, 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 being, it, it, it's being received really well. Um, I think this is a masterwork in direction from Jane Campion. She really, I don't use that word very often, but she really did um, do a, a, a damn good job with this film. And, and that's just in, in the way that there's so much going on that's not being said. And that's what I love. And she, like visually, she um, sets that up for the viewer so well. Um, must watch. I know I, I watched this one digitally. It was playing uh, digitally and in person. Um, I know it's uh, obviously a Netflix film, but I definitely want to see this at uh, in, in the theater at some point when it does come out, because I know it's going to get a little bit of a limited run here before it drops on Netflix. But just those backdrops, just the cinematography, it's something that I want to see on the big screen. But it obviously played very well on uh, my computer as well. Amazing film. Yeah, I'm, I'm keen. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's also going to get a cinema release some shortly before it comes out on Netflix in like early December, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. Do you think? Do you think this is going to be a sort of film that is? I mean, it's way too early to talk about awards, and you know that you can get stuck into that trap when talking about TIFF in terms of awards prospects because it is a pretty important festival in terms of that to got sort of kickstart that. But right. what do you reckon in terms of its awards prospects? Honestly, this is not me saying this in a snobby way, but I don't know if this movie, I think this movie is too... Too good? Too good for it? I guess, but I think it's a movie that's going to get a lot of award recognition. I think people are going to be looking at this thing and, and giving it a lot of nominations, uh, whether it be production, costume, the acting, the writing 100%, uh, Campion's directing. Um, but I don't know if this is the type of movie to win at a lot of awards bodies, best picture or something like that, but it will get recognized in some way. It's just that good. And it's just that kind of a big deal. Like the fact that it's playing at every festival is a smart rollout, in my opinion, for a Netflix hmm. film, get as many eyes on it as possible. So I do think it's going to be talked about deep into the award season, but I, I don't know. I think it is too, too good. Yeah. For, for the Oscar uh, best picture, but it, it will be recognized in some way. All right. Well, I'm excited to see it whenever I can, whether that will be in cinemas. Hopefully we're out of lockdown by then. Uh, cinemas are supposedly going to be reopen here once we hit 80% uh, double vax, which is projected to be on November 5th. So hopefully that will be soon. 
Yeah. Um, in term in terms of my uh, holy shit that rocked movie, I have a couple. Uh, I'm 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 got three because I want to mention them and I kind of want to sort of bang 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 get them all out of the way altogether. And they're all sort of it within that genre mold, which I sort of love. Um, so the first one I'm going to talk about is Saloon. Uh, this is a film from Senegal. Um, it's basically it's set within the backdrop of uh, in Guinea-Bissau. There was a, a military, not a military uprising, but a military coup d'etat. And uh, there was, so it's set around that. And um, it, within that, there is this team of like, uh, I guess, like sort of like counter, not counter revolutionaries, but like sort of rebel fighters or mercenaries that are sort of fighting against this like military coup. Um, they steal, oh, I can't remember. They So they steal some gold from somewhere. They get in an airplane to try to hightail it to uh, Dakar in Senegal, the capital of Senegal. Um, unfortunately, uh, their plane is out of fuel or their plane has been shot. So they have to make an emergency landing on in, in, a, in the town of Saloum. And so, so they enter this, these three mercenaries, they enter this community. Oh, sorry, there's the three mercenaries and they also have their sort of contact who's sort of like, I guess, like a drug runner from South America or Mexico or somewhere. So they all, so they have to make this emergency landing. They then go to this community in Saloum where it's basically like refuge there. Um, they don't have to pay for their accommodation, but in, in reward, they have to like do work around the area sort of thing. And so it's them hiding out. There's sort of an uneasy alliance between uh, not only the people in the in the sort of gang who are called. I'll get the notes of what they're actually called. Um, they are the <laughs> the Bangui Hy the Bangui hyenas is the name of them. They're sort of like they're, so they're in hiding at this sort of at this compound. Um, there's a deaf and mute woman that sort of is recognizing who they are and is like threatening to expose them and then also there's police from dakar that are come looking for them so there's all of this stuff going on the film is a really really good at sort of ratcheting up the tension towards that but then this is where there's about halfway through uh there is a very key revelation that happens and then a key moment that ha that, that results from that and the film changes completely it turns into something completely different and i don't want to ruin what that is things get really weird and tense between characters and things then get violent and a little bit supernatural after that and it is just like it's cool it is yeah. really really good and you know it if it's the sort of film that like you know it was part of the midnight madness similar to where where titan and like other films and dash cam was showing and I would love to have seen this with an audience to see that turn happen and to see, you know, how audiences would have reacted to that. Yeah, that sounds that sounds damn good. Love those Midnight Madness uh, screenings. Yeah. So another one, I don't think this was in Midnight Madness, but it's sort of along the lines of like these sort of genre films. Uh, it was a Spanish film called Out of Sync. So this film was, uh, this film is about a, a woman who is a, uh, her job is a Foley artist and sound mixer for films. Um, one day she finds out that uh, her, her hearing is a little bit delayed. Like she claps her hands in front of her and then hears it like half a second later. And like, it's starting to affect her work obviously and like her professional life. And it's starts to drive her a little bit mad as the days go on and on and on and on like the delay gets longer and longer and longer and it starts they, this movie also starts to get into the supernatural where she can start to hear like things from the past as well like if she goes in there she can hear things from the past and you know it gets really weird and i really enjoyed this film as well um 
you know, a film about sound and where somebody works with sound, the film clearly has really, really great sound design. I watch this on my TV. I don't have a really great sound system on my television. So I was probably thinking I probably should have watched this on my laptop with headphones on, mm. or, you know, this would be really great in a cinema because the soundscape just puts you in, not only just like inside her head, of like because you know she's hearing delayed sounds there's all of this work going on around her and she's just hearing complete silence yeah i heard the sound i mean you've said enough that the, the sound design is definitely the draw but one uh, cool thing to note here um this is a movie that played at so so they have a big imax theater downtown toronto called the cinesphere which tiff kind of partnered with this year to play some special showings dune had its imax world premiere there um we also had Titan played there. I think uh, Memoria starring Tilda Swinton played there. Out of Sync also played there. So that definitely would have been a cool oh, wow. experience. That would have been bloody awesome. Yeah. So that, that was there as well. Just had to note that. Um, uh, but yeah, so, so so those were some of your... Uh, so did some of those films kind of surprise you as well? Or did you expect them all to... Uh, I think... I- well, with Saloon, I didn't I didn't read too much into it. I was offered by the PR people of that film to watch it and I'll 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 hope to review it at some point for the for the site. But yeah, that was one where I didn't I purposefully didn't read too much into it because I just heard like a genre bending a film and it's all out of Senegal and Senegal recently have had some pretty great uh pretty great output from their, you know, very limited sort of cinema and you know, I was really interested to uh, see what it was. So it really surprised me with just in the directions that it went. But I have one more I just want to briefly talk about as well, uh, a Persian film or Iranian film called Zalava. Uh, is it, I just need to double check. I don't know if it's Zalava or Zavala. I just need to double check. That also played uh, in Midnight Madness, yeah. Yeah, it did. So this film is really, really great as well um i apologies i'm not using better language so this film is set in iran in 1978 so it's right before the iranian revolution there is all this sort of paranoia and like sort of uncertainty of where they're about what's gonna about what's happening there's this there's this real sort of sense of change in the air and um so the opening text that we get from this film is a century ago a band of gypsies traveling from east to west settled in the town of zalava and became acquainted with the customs of the people of this region but a powerful fear has stayed with them for years and that powerful fear is that their village is severely is cursed by demons basically and that like the demons can possess you and then also you know uh you know make you destroy the town basically and like you know cause havoc within the town but the the but they believe that like you can you can kill that you can expel the demon out of someone if they are possessed by shooting them in the leg so the film the film opens with a young girl that the town supposedly believe is possessed um the cop the local police officer doesn't help it because he's a skeptic and is you know a, a is very much uh uh i guess atheist to this whole sort of idea is just a complete skeptic thinks it's all absolute rubbish then uh, this shaman then come. Th- there's also word that the demon has also come out again. Uh, the sh- this shaman comes in, who the cop believes is just a complete shyster, like an absolute fraud, <laughs> comes in, uh, bottles bottles the demon in a jar and says, "I've caught it. You're all done." Um, the, the the cop, who is an incredible skeptic, is like, "All right, show me." Pr- it, it, like arrests him, and then there's this sort of tension of like, is there really a demon in this jar? Mm. Like the TIFF program, like uh, the TIFF program 
summed it up perfectly by calling this film Schrodinger's Demon. By like, because there's this clear plastic, there's this clear glass jar. You don't know if there's a demon in there or not. And there's this just this tension and like this thing of like, should I open it to see if this is actually true and what's going to happen? And yeah, this film just really gets into, in terms of just being a genre piece of just like this sort of paranoid sort of thriller where things just escalate and escalate and the tension just tightens like a like a piano wire just keeps tightening and tightening and tightening and just at some point it is just going to snap and things are going to go just absolutely haywire it is an incredible work of tension especially the last half where you know the word has got out that a demon may have been released <laughs> And I, I've done a horrible job at explaining these films, but I want to also be vague as possible and, you know, just keep it as, as, and not reveal anything. Cause the lava is a film that I think is just absolutely fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Um, so you, you definitely got to uh, get a little bit of a taste of the midnight madness as well. Then um, they're fun. Those midnight madness screenings are always oh, are. very fun. Uh, yeah. I, I love that they do that. Particularly with Zalava, it's a film that you don't really know where it's going a lot of the times. Or, like, it's an incredible work of pacing as well. Like, the it's only 93 minutes. The first hour flies by. The first hour flies by. And then it gets to the end, the, 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 the sort of the finale, the climax of the film, which is almost sort of like, you know, like this intense standoff between, like, the, the cop, the shaman, and the villagers. And, you know, the film, like, pacing-wise slows, like, you know, in terms of, like, the actual minutes of how this is spread over, like, it slows down. Like, it feels a lot longer than it is. and But it just is so incredible at ratcheting the tension and just fully getting you sucked into this entire sequence. And, like, you know, you're hanging off every single word and, like, every single twitch of a muscle that's made by anyone in that sequence. And it is, it, it's enthralling stuff. Yeah. No, 100%. That's That's fun um yeah gotta love gotta love it and i think that takes us close to the end here where i just wanted to ask you just overall before we do kind of get into our favorite one film um tiffin review like how did you feel overall uh, about things i mean we, we talked about it at the top but i mean for me i think uh the greatest thing about these festivals is really going in blind to movies just kind of going in blind to movies from all over the world because last year i was very much watching a lot of American movies at the festival uh, or British films at the festival. Mm. Um, this year, I definitely am glad that I kind of tried to experience a little bit of every corner of the world. I got to see um, movies from Japan, um, Korea, uh, Ireland, France, um, so many more, even Northern Ireland. I got to see Belfast, which is pretty cool. Um, obviously, we got the Scandinavian film in uh worst person in the world we have compartment number six from uh eastern europe i mean definitely happy this year that i got to dive into a lot more uh than i did last year uh but for you how do you feel just overall about uh everything you watched yeah well i'm looking over the the list of 13 films that i saw and i'm just going to double check how many of them were actually like not in the english language um like the two documentaries i saw were english language but in terms of narrative films only three of them which were encounter kicking blood and sundown were the only english language films that i saw so five out of 13 were english language films that i saw and they were from everywhere like you know like the world from israel from india from uh, iran um from spain uh from indonesia from belgium portugal um 
there's an, an English film by a Mexican director as well. Um, and then also Canada with Kicking Blood as well. So, you know, I, it, I had a fairly fairly broad view of the of the world with my tiff tiff watches and you know with my situation as well yep. it kind of forced me to watch to sort of look for these films and as much as i want to go in blind it's you know a fact of you kind of have to read up a little bit about these movies because right. you you want to try to get the best sort of the best lineup you possibly can out of the films that you can select yeah 100 percent. no you're right um yeah, I mean, that's that's the great thing about these festivals, just kind of enjoying movies from everywhere. And that kind of takes us into our, our favorite film here. And as I said, I, I think I spoiled this earlier, but mine was The Worst Person in the World, which I really was hoping would shock everyone with maybe getting into the TIFF uh, People's Choice uh, voting there. I know Belfast won. Um, Power of the Dog came second, which was remarkable, and uh, Scarborough, Scarborough. yeah, Canadian yeah, film, local Canadian film, yeah, came third. That's a movie that I was planning on trying to go see, but uh, I just couldn't fit it in my yeah, schedule. But I, I will, I, we'll see that. I was planning on seeing it, but then the the thing uh, ran out. Of, I ran out of time to watch that; it had already expired because that was that was one that was available very early in the festival. Gotcha. Yeah, and so I, just, I just missed it, unfortunately. Definitely going to take a look at that because uh, got to rep the. Uh, Got to rep the homeland as well. And I'm just glad that it got into the People's Choice uh, top three. But yeah, the worst person in the world, Joaquin Trier's film, as I've spoke about, is phenomenal. It's a movie that, I mean, you have your lead here and she is, you know, quote unquote, the worst person in the world, but not in the way that you think. I mean, a lot of it is just, she's living uh, her life like any other person would. And I mean, we tend to get down on ourselves from time to time. And that's how she feels. Um, it's a beautiful movie, a, a hilarious movie as well, um, with phenomenally paced editing. It's told in 12 parts with a prologue and an epilogue, so 14 parts, if you will. Um, each part is equally interesting. Um, a phenomenal performances throughout. This is, for me, his his best film out of the three Oslo trilogy films. And uh, I would recommend checking the other ones out but you definitely don't need to watch them to watch this because they aren't, you know, it's not like MCU. <laughs> it's not like, yeah. it's not like a trilogy trilogy. It's just, you know, themes, locations, settings. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely, definitely happy with how this one turned out, especially just because I was so excited to see it. And I definitely want to check it out again. And I'll continue to sing the praises for it as the months go on. Cause I think it's, it, it's a movie that I hope a lot of people watch whenever they can. Um, yeah, it's just, it's, it, it's really damn good. Yeah. Um, I just want to quickly ask because, you know, there's been a lot of, a lot of chatter about her performance ever since she won at Cannes, but, and, and apologies if I butcher her name, is Renate Rensve as good as people are saying, is she as good as people are saying? She's really good. She is phenomenal. Um, she, she is great. She was in the last film in this trilogy, as I say, as well. Um, a lot of the actors are similar. Like, I think he brings back a lot of people. Um, uh, Anyurs Dandelson Lee, which is, he's the second uh, lead in this film. He was in both of the other movies. He seems to be a very frequent collaborator with this director. Um, yeah, she was really good. She definitely was good. She has like the charm, the wit, the, um, she, she's got it all. She definitely gave a powerhouse performance here. But I mean, it, it also helps when you have, phenomenal subject uh, matter to deal with and this movie is rich in every single way it's it's really good um 100 recommend uh checking it out and you know one thing to note just because uh covid's been so big 
it's this is one of several films at the festival that kind of near the end of the movie uh you see people start wearing masks so you can tell like the filming probably ended uh as you know in right as covid yeah and really started to it is very surreal i mean it's not it doesn't add to the story i'm just kind of pointing that out here on the podcast i I saw a few films at the festival that were like that and it is it's pretty surreal um but yeah that's the worst person in the world definitely my favorite power of the dog was a runner-up for me but that that's my favorite of the festival uh the lava and uh dug dug which i previously mentioned were my favorite were my uh runners up but uh my favorite film which was you know with all of the films that uh got taken off that were in my sort of must see bracket um one remained that i was able to see and uh it just happened to also be my favorite film of the festival and that is uh nadav lapid's ahead's knee um, I don't think you will find a film that is angrier and more vital a film in uh, 2021 than Ahead's Knee, which is just like Nadav Lapid is a filmmaker that I am just, I'm absolutely fascinated by now. I think he's only made four films. I've seen his most recent two. Uh, his last film, Synonyms, which won uh, the Golden Bear at the Berlinale back in 2019. I wasn't a huge fan of that film, but I loved everything that it was doing. Like that film was sort of loosely inspired by his own life when like in his 20s, he fleed to France um, and sort of just kind of wanted to renounce himself of any part of him that was Israeli. Like he just wanted to in, uh, renounce his cultural identity completely. And that film was similarly about a character that was just had a complicated relationship with his Israeli uh, nationality and just wanted to be French. Like he's like, I'm not Israeli anymore. I'm French. This is my journey to becoming French. And like, you know, with the title synonyms, that's a lot about how language has to do with it. And synonyms, although a film I didn't love, I liked a lot of what it was doing. Ahead's Knee, though, is a film that sort of brings everything together and it just makes it I, 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 this is a film that I can't really describe. Um, basic premise is that uh, uh, Absalom uh, Pollack, who is great, apparently he's a choreographer in real life and is also an actor as well. Um, he plays a guy named Y. Um, I, I think he actually has a, a Hebrew name, but in in the in the English subtitles, he's just named as Y. Um, and he's very much he's a filmmaker, but then also a very thinly veiled version of Lapid in real life. He is uh, making a film about Ahed Tamimi, who is a a, a, a Palestinian uh, teenage activist who, quite famously, back in 2018, was arrested because she slapped an Israeli officer, uh, an, an officer, sorry, an Israeli soldier who, like, uh, was I guess like uh, I guess patrolling her village or something along those lines and the the film gets its title Ahead's Knee from uh, uh, a I believe a an Israeli lawmaker or lawyer who tweeted out that Ahead Tamimi deserved to be shot at least in the knee for what Hmm. she did so that's where you get the title Ahead's Knee so the film opens up with the auditions of this and rather you know it, it sort of sets the tone for the sort of irreverent nature of the whole sort of film where like it, it begins with someone auditioning to be um, for the role of Ahead, but she does a very striking and direct to the camera rendition of Guns N' Roses' Welcome to the Jungle. And it's, it's, it's very strange. And uh, Lapid, just from the two films I've seen, he has an incredible knack for using pop music 
in really, really, mem- and, and making it memorable in his films. Like in uh, Synonyms, he used um, Technotronics Pump Up the Jam in a really, really excellent sequence. And he uses it a couple of times in A Head's Knee, which I'll get to. So he's making this film. and uh, But then during the audition process, he gets an invitation by the uh, Israeli Minister of, Ministry of Culture to present one of his films to a rural town in near the Israeli Jordan border. I believe it's in the... Uh, uh, I'm not exactly sure which district it is, but it's it's near the Jordan border. The, the film then sort of goes in some strange directions there. Um, it's a, it very much has a very loose sort of structure. Um, the film, the, but the main, the main sort of, I guess, uh, uh, conflict that's within this film is that uh, Y is given this sheet that uh, to basically a sign off sheet for for basically his talk for before and after the film. And he looks over at the uh, government sanctioned topics that he's allowed to discuss and uh, is kind of doesn't really want to sign any of them because the uh, government mandated tasks are uh, fairly, uh, you know, very pro-Israel sort of thing. And, uh, you know, not really mentioning all the things that are wrong with Israel, that, you know, like things that his films address. And yeah, so I've got a written review of the film on the site and this film refuses to conform in basically more ways than one. So not just narratively with this film about, you know, a filmmaker that's like desperate for artistic impression, in artistic freedom and sort of, you know, artistic expression and freedom to do that within a country with very, very harsh censorship laws and like a, an organization that wants to, that would prefer propaganda and sort of like, you know, propelling lies than, you know, having like actual than telling than true artistic expression. But yeah, the way in which Lapid creates this sort of, you know, what would normally be a director standing on a soapbox and preaching the messages of the film, the way he does it in terms of the camera work and also the intensity that uh, Pollack brings to his performance of why in this sequence is so confrontational. I believe I wrote in my review, it's the way in which this is done. It doesn't just, you know, it doesn't just demand your attention. It sort of like grabs it by the scruff of the neck and does not let go. And it is, it's something that will stay with you. Like it's incredibly confrontational and just is just incredibly impactful. And you know, the, the film then it, that's not the end of the film. It does go on and it does, I'm not going to say it loses its way. It just, it, it takes a a climax that just, that feels a little bit too overdone, but Mm. it's, it's, this film is just absolutely incredible and it blew me away and yeah, cemented Nadav Lapid is probably, one of the most interesting and compelling filmmakers working today. Yeah, are you uh, thinking of seeing this again at some point or what? Uh, absolutely, yeah. I, I'm interested, again, with a crowd, like I watched this um, through the TIFF Digital Cinema Pro, so, you know, it was just me in my on my couch in my living room. But, yeah, just to, to see this with an audience, especially that sequence, to just see just the impact that that would have on a room of people and... I don't know, hopefully maybe this will come to probably probably the best bet here in Australia would be the Jewish International Film Festival as, as, it's, an, in, as it's an Israeli film. Mm. But yeah, so it, it'll be, it, I'm interested to, I really want to hear, like hope more people see this and I want to talk to them more about this sort of film. Because as I said earlier in the podcast, like I'm a massive fan of J- Jafar Panahi's films and, you know, the f- it, it, like films about censorship and, Maybe it's just maybe it's just me, you know, being absent and my fascination with sort of things. But like, it's always amazes me how these sorts of filmmakers can make such harsh critiques about censorship that are also sort of 
within the like in panahi's case is within the rules of censorship that sort of you know express how absurd they actually are or you've got lapide on the other hand who just brings in the sledgehammer and smashes it but the funny thing is with um the funny thing is with ahead's knee this film actually received funding from the Israeli Film Fund, and so hmm. it got it, it got support from the very organization that it is lambasting, and I think that is just extraordinary and kind of unbelievable. How <laughs> Lapid managed that is just amazing. Yeah, he must have a way with the words in the uh, negotiating room there. But yeah, that's pretty impressive. Um, yeah, but I mean, it, yeah, it definitely sounds like we uh, we did get to see a lot of interesting stuff and uh, I do hope you get to see this again. Does it have a distributor uh, yet? Um, it might be Kino Lorber. I'm not exactly sure, but uh, I'll have to double check that. Yeah. So that, yeah. So keep that definitely uh, marked down. Uh, it's knee. Um, it, it was wonderful having you on Sean. Uh, it's been a while. We talked last on your podcast about uh, the Oscars. Um several several months ago felt like a long time ago yeah um, but it, it's always great to chat yeah absolutely thanks for having me on and thanks for dealing with my rambling and if listeners got this far um thank you for putting up with me and i um, hope i can get invited back on the movie babble podcast again well it's wonderful wonderful having you and i always love your insight on uh these films and i'm just so glad that we both had such a diverse uh array of, of films because as as we said just the way things kind of went, we didn't watch a single movie that was the same. And we both watched yeah. 13 movies. Um, so we, we definitely brought a lot to the table. Uh, but yeah, thanks again, always for coming on. Um, Absolutely. It speaks to how good TIFF was this year with the programming too, that we could have completely different experiences, but then both get so much out of it. Yeah, hundred percent. It's, it's really cool. Uh, can't wait for next year already <laughs> um yep. and hopefully, hopefully i can get there in person someday whether that's next year or like maybe 2030 with how things are looking but <laughs> one day one day one day and hopefully uh, next year the melbourne film festival for you is uh it, it is functioning as, as it usually would instead of uh last minute switches and such but yeah it's, it's always great to have you on and you can check out sean's work on the site at movie babble or uh, obviously his podcast another bloody movie podcast which is always my favorite movie podcast title um but yeah sean thanks so much for coming on and as always you can check out movie babble stuff on our facebook instagram twitter everywhere but uh, most importantly at the dot com moviebabble.com uh, as always uh thank you guys for listening and uh, we'll see you next time